0: Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com/give. You're listening to episode 44 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about John Hendricks, the Tennessee prophet. I'm Dom Bethanelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, on June 2nd, 1915, which is 104 years ago this week as this show releases, A mysterious man passed into the great beyond. His name was John Hendricks, and he lived and died in the state of Tennessee. His life was full of hardship, but he was a very religious man and turned to God when tragedy struck. And as he prayed in the woods, he received a series of startling prophecies that came true. And that's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. So, Jimmy, how do we know about John Hendricks? Well, I think people are really
1: going to enjoy this episode. Very few people have ever heard of John Hendricks. I came across his story in a book we'll talk about later. And it was so fascinating that I went and did more research online. I got more. I got another book about him, just one exclusively on him. And he's absolutely fascinating. And so I think people will really enjoy this episode, even if they've never heard of him before. And I'd encourage them to share it with others because it's such a fun story. Basically, there aren't very many official records that date from Hendrix's lifetime. He was just a local man. He was only known as in his local community at the time. And so it's primarily through oral history that we know about him. After his death, after his most famous prophecy came true, people started writing about him and telling his story. But, you know, oral history is fuzzy, meaning that some of the details may not be accurate, but the gist of what people remembered about him should be accurate. And we'll have links to particular resources about him. But I want to mention one in particular.
0: What particular
1: resource is that? It's a book called The Story of John Hendricks by a Tennessee author named Myra Mansfield. And it's a, it's a small book, but it's really awesome. It both tells the story of John Hendricks himself, and it sets the context of the historical period, you know, what life was like on this kind of pioneer farm that he lived on. It, it gives you a sense of the hardships that people faced, just how, you know, they survived at the time. It's very quaint and homey. It it describes what life was like in a way that's similar to, you know, family documents that I have in my own family. And it not only gives you a sense of the hardships they face, it also gives you a sense of the humor of the time. One of the things that I've noticed, like reading Mark Twain, is there was a sort of bragging humor. Uh, men would engage in about how 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 manly they were and stuff. And after his death, one guy who had met uh, Hendricks quoted him using an example of this humor. And according to the guy who met him, uh, Hendrix said something along the lines of, my name is Levi Tuffy, the toughest man that ever breathed a breath of fresh air. I clumb a thorn tree with no pants on. I walked a barbed wire fence with no shoes on. I squoze a she-bear till her brains were all on the ground. Now, if you ever want to know where I live, I live on Tough Street. The further down you go, the tougher it gets, and I live in the very last house. <laughs> <laughs> so it gives you a little sense of him as a person. I was really delighted when I ordered the story of John Hendricks from Amazon, and it came in the mail, and I found that it had been autographed by the author. So Myra Mansfield had signed it, and I talked to her by phone, and she indicated to me that if you order it through Amazon, which I hope you will because it's a great little book, uh, she autographs it. Uh, She was also very helpful to me in answering some questions I had researching the show, and so I want to say a special
0: thanks to her. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Ms. Mansfield. So then that brings a question. The next question is, who was John Hendricks?
1: Well, in his professional life, he was a farmer from East Tennessee. He was born on November 9th, 1865 in Robertsville, Tennessee. So that was just a few months after the Civil War ended. His family had moved to that area to escape predation by Yankee soldiers, you know, because they'd come down and they were basically grabbing everything that wasn't nailed down to supply themselves because, you know, supply lines weren't great back in the day. And so that caused hardship for the locals, and some of them would move to get out of the area. And his family had done that. In 1888, uh, John married a woman named Julia Ann, and they lived in a one-room log log cabin that John built with the help of a few other men. They ended up having five children, and they were subsistence-level farmers. Unfortunately, John's marriage didn't last. What happened to his marriage? In 19, around 1900, John was disciplining one of his daughters, whose name was Ethel, and he spanked her. And by coincidence, she immediately fell sick with diphtheria and apparently died a few days later. Oh. Julia Ann, his wife, grieving for the loss of her daughter, blamed John, blamed the illness on John because he'd, he'd spanked Ethel. And so she packed up the other four children and moved to Arkansas. Eventually, she divorced him, and he never saw his wife and children again.
0: Terrible. So he must have been devastated. How did he react?
1: Yeah, well, he was devastated, but he turned to God, and he spent long hours in the woods praying. Now, he'd go on these long walks. On one occasion, he received a mysterious message. In the woods, he said... As I lay on the ground and looked up into the sky, there came to me a voice as loud and as sharp as thunder. The voice told me to sleep with my head on the ground for 40 nights, and I would be shown visions of what the future holds for this land. And so that's what he did. He spent 40 nights sleeping on the ground outside.
0: 40 is one of those <laughs> numbers that are connected to prophecy. So yes. what is what must his neighbors have thought about this guy sleeping outside for 40 nights on the ground? Well, they were worried about him. One local woman whose name was Mary Ann Johnson walked
1: a mile and a half to try to talk him out of the plan uh, when she couldn't. She brought him a handmade quilt and some chicken soup, as you do, as you do. <laughs> one woman decided to check on him one day and found where he was laying with his hair frozen to the ground. Wow. And she told neighbors, you know, that the way his voice sounded as he was praying, apparently he was praying while she was there, uh, the way his voice sounded made her hair stand on end. So Mm. her her hair was standing on end while his hair was frozen to the ground. So 40 days. What happened when the 40 days ended? He came back from the woods and started telling people about visions of the future that he had experienced. Uh, He apparently said that part of the time he had been in paradise and he told people about the visions repeatedly and insistently, uh, which is why people remembered all this in later years.
0: Then uh, what were his predictions that these prophecies that he was seeing of the future?
1: Uh, one of them was that there would be a new railroad line from Knoxville, Tennessee, that would pass by Robertsville. And he was extremely specific. According to the book, The Story of John Hendricks, he said it would run by Joe Cox's place at Edgemore, then beside Tom Braden's farm down to Katie Worthington's place at Elza. Uh, he said they would build a bridge across the Clinch River at the lower point of Bradley's Bluff. Then uh, they would build a tunnel right through the bottom of Black Oak Ridge. Uh, He said they would sink the Butcher Spring when they did it. So he's really specific about how this railroad line was going to be laid out. He also predicted that there would be an invention that would transport people and freight through the air. He said that someday lime, that's crushed limestone, someday lime would be used for fertilizer. And then he made a really famous prediction, his most famous. And, and that prediction was? Well, I'll quote it, uh, at least the account we have of it. Quote, Bear Creek Valley someday will be filled with great buildings and factories, and they will help towards winning the greatest war that ever will be. And there will be a city on Black Oak Ridge. The center of authority will be on a spot which is middleway between Sevier Tadlock's farm and Joe Pyatt's place. A railroad spur will branch off the main L&N line and run down towards Robertsville, and then it will branch off and turn towards Scarborough. It will serve the great city I saw in my vision. Big engines will dig big ditches, and thousands of people will be running to and fro They will be building things and there will be great noise and confusion and the earth will shake. I've seen it. It's coming. And uh, he also, so close quote, he also said who would be alive to see his predictions come true and who wouldn't. And he was one of the people that he said he would not be alive to see this fulfilled.
0: Could you quickly remind us when this was again? What year?
1: Yeah, so this is around 1900. Okay, the year so, his daughter died.
0: All right, and so one of the so he's seen things like inventions transporting people and freight through the air. That's uh, okay. Not so, yet. Not yet. Okay. So what happened after he made these predictions? How did people react? Well, they nicknamed him the Prophet, so they just
1: call him the Prophet, and they generally scoffed at him. A local boy named James Braden later recalled. I, he said, "I got the last whipping I ever got from my mother for believing John Hendricks' prophecy, and that was when I was about nine. And so it's an indication of how local people felt about this. They didn't <laughs> want their children believing it. Yeah, Braden was born in 1891, and so he would have been about nine in 1900 when the prophecies were given. For a time, Hendricks was placed in the county farm, and that was a a county-owned work farm." where people were placed who couldn't pay their taxes. It's possible that Hendricks was having trouble paying his taxes because he seems to have largely stopped working his land after his family left, and so he may have been short on cash. But I've also run across some accounts that says he was uh, put in the county farm because people thought he was crazy. Ultimately, he escaped from the farm, and according to the story of John Hendricks, It is said that when he got home, he put eight rocks across the front of his yard. The sheriff came and stopped at the rocks. He tried to get John to go back, but John refused. Then the sheriff looked puzzled, turned and left. John called out to him, that county farm is a terrible place and will be destroyed within 30 days. A few weeks later, lightning struck it and it burned to the ground.
0: Wow, that's a prophecy fulfilled pretty quickly. So were his other predictions fulfilled?
1: Yeah. So as we said, he made them around 1900. And in 1902, the railroad out of Knoxville was having trouble getting the needed land rights from the citizens of Clinton, Tennessee. So they changed the route that they were planning. And the new route did run through the Edgemoor and Elza communities. They did dig a tunnel through Black Oak Ridge. And a, a spring stopped running as a result of the construction. So all that happened in uh, December of 1903 uh, in North Carolina. The Wright brothers achieved the first powered flight. So the airplane was now a thing. And uh, in and so his prophecies were starting to come true. And a nice new thing for uh, John Hendricks in 1908, he got married again. And who is his new wife? Her name was Martha Jane Gregory but people called her Ma. She had been previously married and had seven children, one of whom was an adult. The youngest was a son named Andrew. And then a year after she and John married, they had a son named Curtis. And of course, John told the children about his visions, and he even used an axe to mark the trees by the farm where he said the railroad extension would be built. He also started to get some cred from his neighbors. One started thinking about how to make fertilizer from lime, and he built a big lime silo on his property.
0: Is that a self-fulfilling prophecy? Maybe not. So <laughs> we'll get well, back it, to that. <laughs> it's,
1: it's not going to be fulfilled because of this guy. I just mentioned that he didn't figure out how to use lime as fertilizer, oh, Okay, but he did take
0: John what John had to say seriously. It shows that people were taking him seriously now, right? So his prophecy that he wouldn't live to see his main prediction fulfilled hadn't come true yet. Uh, Obviously, he's not he hasn't died at this point. So what happened with that? Well, in 1914,
1: World War One broke out and people started wondering if this would be the war of the prophecy. The same year, one of Ma's daughters got sick with an infectious disease that had broken out in the community and she died, which, you know, happened to a lot of young people and a lot of other people back then. John also got sick, and his doctor diagnosed it as consumption, or what we today would call tuberculosis. John knew that because uh, of his prophecy that he wasn't going to recover, and so he started making his final arrangements. He deeded part of his land to his adopted daughter and son-in-law so that they would be close to Ma and be able to take care of her after he died. He also said, "I want to be buried on the top of the hill overlooking my little farm and apple orchard, so I can keep the thieves out of my apples <laughs> and and then he died uh June second nineteen fifteen mm. at age forty nine uh, he was buried where he asked, and his youngest sons Andrew and Curtis planted a cutting from a boxwood bush by the grave to mark the site
0: so so now he has died, which means that his prophecy could could come true. Was his prophecy about the transformation of that area fulfilled during World War I? No. World War I ended in
1: 1918 without that prophecy being fulfilled, but others did start to come true. In the early 1930s, a British chemist named Percy Gilchrist developed a process for making steel. And as part of the process, it turns limestone into calcium phosphate, which is a fertilizer. Mm. And so the limestone to fertilizer prophecy came true. And then on December 7th, 1941, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor and America entered World War II. So the government began mobilizing resources to fight it. And in November of 1942, the inhabitants of Robertsville, Tennessee and the surrounding areas received a letter from the government, which said, The War Department intends to take possession of your farm on December 1st, 1942. It will be necessary for you to move no later than that date. So the U.S. government took the whole area under eminent domain, and everyone had to pack up and move in less than three weeks. Wow. So, how did people respond? Well, they were frantic. Not only did they have to find new places to live, they also had to deal with their existing property that included uh, barns and silos full of hay and grain. They had livestock they had to deal with. They had all kinds of small personal possessions they couldn't take with them. And many had to simply abandon a lot of what they owned. But many also felt that the government must have a good reason for this and that it was important for winning the war. Interestingly, according to the story of John Hendricks, Each family cemetery was numbered with a small sign. And by sheer happenstance, the government numbered John's grave with a sign that read 40, reminiscent of his 40 days sleeping on the ground.
0: Wow. Why did did the government want their land for? What were they wanted to use it for? Nobody knew. It was just some classified war
1: project. But John's prophecy started to be fulfilled. The railroad line was extended again, like he said it would be, and the trees that he had marked with his axe were cut down to make room for it. According to the story of John Hendricks, so this is Myra Mansfield writing, John had said that big engines will dig big ditches. To a common man 30 years earlier, when equipment was run by muscle, horses, or steam, these gas-powered engines he had seen in a vision must have been beyond his understanding. Then, Just as John had said, a city was built on Black Oak Ridge. The North Ridge became covered with thousands of houses that were built at a rate of approximately one house every 30 minutes. The center of authority of which John spoke was indeed built between Sevier Tadlock's farm and Joe Pyatt's place. Rows of brand new office buildings were completed in only two and a half months, opening on March 15th, 1943, called The Castle. It was the government headquarters. Three factory sites were built in the secret city. The Y-12 factories fulfilled John's prophecy that Bear Creek Valley will be filled with big buildings where they will be building things. John had said thousands of people will be running to and fro. In actuality, 75,000 new people moved to this hidden valley from all across the United States. And so people didn't know what was happening at the site, but they knew it was important. Some of the locals got jobs there, and that included John's biological son, Curtis, uh, that he had with his second wife. He didn't know what the project was, but he wrote his mother a letter in which he said, my dad said that the, uh, my dad said that place would be built. And they said he was crazy. Who was crazy? I'm glad the Flatwoods country is helping knock the props from under Hitler and his gang. He can't stand it much longer if whatever they make is as Uncle Bill Cheshire's moonshine used to be. Goodbye, Hitler. (laughs) So don't worry, the war will be over and peace will again come to comfort the hearts of men all over the world.
0: So how did they find what the government wanted their land for? On August 6th, 1945,
1: People all over America turned on their radios and heard President Harry S. Truman make the following announcement.
2: A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima and destroyed its usefulness to the enemy. That bomb has more power than 20,000 tons of TNT. The Japanese began the war from the air at Pearl Harbor. They have been repaid many fold. And the end is not yet. With this bomb, we have now added a new and revolutionary increase in destruction to supplement the growing power of our armed forces. In their present form, these bombs are now in production, and even more powerful forms are in development. It is an atomic bomb, it is a harnessing of the basic power of the universe. The force from which the sun draws his power has been loosed against those who brought war to the far east. So
1: it turned out it was the atomic bomb. That's what was being developed at the secret facility at Black Oak Ridge, Tennessee, or as we know it today, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Uh, back then, it was one of the key sites in the Manhattan Project, and today it still houses the Oak Ridge National Laboratories and the Y-12 National Security Complex. What was happening in the newly built city on John Hendricks's land was the refinement of uranium to make the bomb. That's what they were doing. Uh, they were building machines that could they, they could then use to refine the uranium. The reason for that is almost all of the natural occurring uranium on Earth is an isotope known as U-238, uranium-238. But that's useless for making an atomic bomb. What you really need is uranium-235, and that's less than 1% of the uranium on Earth. So one of the key tasks at the Oak Ridge facility was to separate U-235 out of the U-238 so that it could be used to make a bomb. The result was the little boy bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima, and it was a simple what's known as a gun model bomb. The basic idea of a gun model bomb, which you can make out of uranium, is you've got two masses of uranium that are both subcritical. And then you slam them together really hard, like you fire one down the barrel, uh, kind of like firing a bullet out down the barrel of a gun. And when the two subcritical masses come together, they're just over critical mass. And that causes the chain reaction, which then makes them hypercritical and they explode. This is different than the Fat Man bomb that was used on Nagasaki on August 9th, a few days later. That was a plutonium bomb. Which was an implosion model, where you basically have a sphere of fissile material that you implode all at once. And that was much those are much harder to make. And they had to actually test that. That was the first Trinity test was of an implosion bomb. But gun model bombs are so simple. It's just bringing these two things together. Uh, they didn't even bother testing it. They knew it was going to work. So anyway, that's what the people at Oak Ridge were producing. And on September second, nineteen forty five, Japan surrendered ending World War II. And thus the people of the new city of Oak Ridge fulfilled John Hendricks prophecy that they would help towards winning the greatest war that ever will be.
0: So theories, what what theories are there about how John Hendricks had these prophecies? Because information about this comes from
1: oral history, the details are fuzzy, but basically there are two theories. Either John Hendricks accurately predicted that these events would occur before they did, or he didn't. Those are the two basic options we've got.
0: So let's look at this from the reason perspective. and I, I'm going to gather we can we have pretty a lot here for both a reason and a faith perspective, but let's start with reason. What can we say about this from the reason perspective? The big issue we have to deal with is the fact that it's oral history. John Hendricks did not write his
1: prophecies the way the biblical prophet Isaiah did instead he gave his predictions orally the way the biblical prophet elijah did so there's a precedent for purely oral prophets even in the bible that means that we're dependent on people's memories one of the things i really like about myra's mans about myra mansfield and her book is that she's very aware of the fact we're dealing with oral history she stressed to me on the phone The fact that this is oral history and the book includes a note at the end, which says information in this book should not be relied upon as firm historical information until verified with other sources. Much information and many quotations were taken by the author from personal interviews or miscellaneous research sources. So that's a sign of good balanced judgment in dealing with this. She's not being a sensationalist about this. She's being a, a good, responsible author because we don't have written records of the prophecies until after they were in the process of being fulfilled. We do have ones from before they were fulfilled, but they were already in process of being fulfilled. You know, you could argue that this is an ex post facto prophecy, that it's uh, the technical word for that in, in biblical scholarship is a vaticinium ex eventu, a prophecy after the event. But that doesn't fit the evidence that we have here. We have multiple early sources indicating that people remembered Hendrix's prophecies and specifically the one about Black Oak Ridge. The main account of it I quoted was from a book by George Robinson called The Oak Ridge Story, and it was published in 1950. So the story was already in circulation then, and we know it was in circulation even earlier. Uh, We have that statement by James Braden about how his mother gave him a whipping for believing Hendrix. And that was published in Nov- on November 2nd, 1944, in an issue of the Oak Ridge Journal. So we have an earlier record of Hendricks having given prophecies of some kind. Braden didn't say what they were. But then we also have that letter from Hendrix's son, Curtis, uh, that he wrote his mom from Oak Ridge during the war, where he said that his dad had predicted that the place would be built and people called him crazy. I haven't been able to find a date for that letter, but it had to be between 1943 and 1945. So it was also before anybody knew what was going on. He did not know. He just felt it would be better than than uh uncle his uncle's moonshine.
0: <laughs> right.
1: So the the evidence points to Hendrix having genuinely made predictions, at least the gist of which people remembered And then they were amazed because the gist of what they remembered was actually happening. Now, you might say this is all just a coincidence, you know, that he predicted this stuff. But you could you could attribute anything to coincidence. I mean, literally anything that happens, you could say, oh, the obvious explanation isn't the real explanation. It's just coincidence. Sun came up for the billionth time in a row. Just a coincidence. So it's possible this was just a coincidence. But. That's not the direction the evidence points. Unless you're totally closed off to the idea of supernatural predictions, we have to take this one seriously because we have a number of independent witnesses involved. And Hendricks had made a strong impression on people, so strong that he's written up in standard histories of Oak Ridge. Like the Oak Ridge story. He's also written up in books on the history of the atom bomb and on nuclear power. In fact, that's how I first learned about him. Uh, It was in the book Atomic Accidents by the nuclear scientist James Mahaffey that I first found his story and that got me researching him. For years, there was a figure of John Hendricks sitting in a rocking chair at the entrance of the American Museum of Science and Energy at Oak Ridge. So, you know, people there were preserving his memory, and all of this suggests that he really did say things that people remembered and surprisingly came true, even if we can't press all the details of what they remembered.
0: Could you give an example of that?
1: Yeah, uh, for example, the account of the main prophecy, as I said, I quoted from the Oak Ridge story, and it's in it, Hendricks said that people will help towards winning the greatest war that ever will be. but. The account given in Myra Mansfield's book, The John Hendricks Story, says that they will help towards winning one of the greatest wars that ever will be. So, a little variation in detail. Uh, similarly, you remember the account of how John escaped from the county farm and went home. Well, details on that also vary. Just to recap uh, Mansfield's account, it is said that when he got home, he put eight rocks across the front of his yard. The sheriff came and stopped at the rocks. He tried to get John to go back, but John refused. Then the sheriff looked puzzled, turned and left. John called out to him, that county farm is a terrible place and will be destroyed within 30 days. A few weeks later, lightning struck it and it burned to the ground. So that's Mansfield's account. But in the 1944 article with James Braden, the guy who'd got a whipping as a boy, he said this, They put him up in the asylum, but he tore out. He tore out and he come home. He went home to his farm and he got eight rocks and put them in a row in his front yard. He said that the Lord had told him to put them there to smite his enemies. Well, old John stood there with his eight rocks in a row. And when the commissioners came after him to put him back up, they decided not. So same basic event, little different account. Similarly, in 2006, the local historian D. Ray Smith published an account in The Oak Ridger, which said this, When John began to describe his visions, people thought him insane, and he was imprisoned for a time at the county farm. John, quote-unquote, dug out and escaped, but was spotted by authorities. John shouted to them from outside the fence that the farm was an evil place and that within a month, God would strike the building and burn it down. When lightning did strike and burn the building, some people began to fear him as a witch. So in that account, it's commissioners, rather, or it's authorities. In James Braden's account, it was commissioners, and in Mansfield's account, it was the sheriff that talked to him. Also, D. Ray Smith's article doesn't have any mention of the eight rocks. But the gist of all this is clearly the same event. Clearly, people are remembering the same thing.
0: Right. People remember that he predicted that the farm would burn, uh, and and it did due to a lightning strike, not him coming back and setting it on fire. Uh, So interesting. Were any of Hendrix's prophecies
1: not fulfilled? According to some accounts, he predicted that the name of the new city would finally be called Paradise. And the word finally is in those accounts, suggesting it might not be its original name. Also, according to one account, he said the railroad line would extend further than it did, at least as of 1944. So it's hard to know what to make of these. It could be these are people misremembering some of his prophecies. It could be he misunderstood some of the things that were revealed to him. It's possible, you know, for a seer to, you know, to misunderstand a few things and it, some have even proposed these are just ones yet to be fulfilled. Maybe Oak Ridge will change its name to Paradise or that railroad line will get extended.
0: Mm, it's possible. That'd be interesting. I wonder if people in Oak Ridge think of their place as Paradise.
1: <laughs> well, there they also noticed that one thing that I wonder about is because he said he apparently, according to some accounts, he said he had been in Paradise. If that's the origin of the confusion that some oh. people thought that 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 when he said he was in paradise, they thought, oh, that means he was in the city he saw is going to be called paradise.
0: That's it. Yes. OK, I could see that. I could see that. So that's the reason perspective. What can we say about all of this from the faith perspective?
1: So, you know, unlike many of our listeners, Hendricks wasn't a Catholic, and that meant that the local bishop didn't do an investigation of all this. So it's not an approved apparition. But God sometimes speaks to people who aren't even Christian yet. Uh, for example, the Emperor Constantine the Great and the early Christian author Arnobius of Sica, who lived in the 300s, both of them converted to Christianity as a result of private revelations, and they weren't even Christian yet. So God can talk to anyone he wants. John Hendricks was a sincere, if you know, not educated, Christian man, and we shouldn't rule out the idea of God speaking to him just because he wasn't part of our part of the Christian tribe.
0: I I think of Saul and Paul is another example of uh, someone who wasn't Christian, although... Even more famous. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So what about this strange behavior, sleeping on the ground for 40 nights? There's biblical precedent for that. And sometimes
1: God uses the background of someone he's giving a private revelation to to kind of shape the revelation. And so... Ezekiel 4 may have influenced Hendrix in this way. Uh, in Ezekiel 4, God tells the prophet Ezekiel to lie on his left side for 390 days, representing the punishment of the northern kingdom, the house of Israel. But then in Ezekiel 4, verse 6, he says, and when you have completed these, these days of lying on your side, you shall lie down a second time, But on your right side, and you shall bear the punishment of the house of Judah. 40 days I assign you a day for each year. So there's actually precedent for laying on the ground for 40 days in connection with prophecy in the Bible.
0: So, what about the moral message of his revelations? Does it it show approval of the use of atomic bombs over Hiroshima and Nagasaki?
1: This is a challenging issue because Catholic moral theology holds that the use of the bomb against civilian targets is not morally acceptable. But, you know, there may be missing context here that would provide greater moral perspective on this. Uh, the context may be missing either because Hendrix didn't perceive it uh, in the revelations or he didn't tell other people about it or people didn't remember it. You know, this was a super patriotic time and so even if he had said something that cast some doubt on the on some of this, people may have not Remembered that or not wanted to remember it and not related it. Also, though, just Hitler's predictions were highly local. I mean, he's Hendrix's predictions were highly local. I mean, he's talking about the railroad line is going to go by this guy's farm and then it's going to turn towards this woman's farm. And it really didn't engage larger moral issues. It's all just very specific about this is what's going to happen here. And what he reported, uh, what he's reported is saying. Is true. Uh, the people of Oak Ridge did help win a great war. We know that God gives revelations about wars on occasion. Uh, you know, we just did the episode on Fatima, which dealt with World War One and World War Two and a possible World War Three that looks like it was averted. And so God can talk to people and tell them, okay, this war is gonna happen and it's gonna end or it's gonna be one or whatever. And then finally, there's just the fact that humans are blunt instruments, and all of the moral qualifiers don't always get expressed in Revelation. I mean, look at the Old Testament. Some of the things the Old Testament says to do to the Canaanites doesn't really fit modern moral sensibilities. Mm -hmm. But the Israelites at the time were at a low stage of their walk with God. It was still early days. They were still being weaned off of paganism, and they were blunt instruments, and to some extent, that's true of people in every age. So God doesn't always reveal the fullness of his will to everybody in every given revelation that he gives to help them out.
0: So what's, what's your bottom line on this, Jimmy, about John, John Hendricks, the Tennessee prophet? Because we're dealing with
1: oral history, I can't be 100% sure. But the evidence we have points to the idea of John Hendricks being the recipient of private revelations, including the role of Oak Ridge in ending World War II, I also personally hope that the prophecy or the version of the prophecy was right. That says that World War II would be the greatest war that ever will be not just one of the greatest wars. (laughs) I agree. By the way, today you can go to Oak Ridge and there's a memorial prayer walk. Uh, You know, John Hendricks got his revelations while walking in the woods and to commemorate his memory. They've established a prayer walk that you can go on and pray. Also, remember, I mentioned his sons planted a a, a cutting from a boxwood bush at the site of his grave. Well, boxwood is a species that normally grows to between 15 and 20 feet tall. But the one over his grave is reported to be between 50 and 70 feet tall.
0: Wow. So what is what do you have for further resources for our listeners on this, Jimmy?
1: Well, the first one is Myra Mansfield's excellent little book, The Story of John Hendricks. I hope people will uh, get a copy of that. And like I said, if you get it through Amazon, she autographs it for you. It's a fun read. It's short. I read it in one sitting and it's got lots of you know context and colorful detail about what it was like back then. The book that I first learned about John Hendricks from is James Mahaffey's book, Atomic Accidents. So we'll have a link to where you can get that. Also, the other book I quoted from The Oak Ridge Story by George Robinson, a 1950 book. So it was written, you know, five years after the war telling the story of Oak Ridge. That's actually online. You can read that for free and we'll have a link to that. I'll have a link to the John Hendricks Memorial Prayer Walk website. And then I'll have a link to D. Ray Smith's website. He is another local Tennessee historian, and he has a number of articles Uh, that he's published dealing with John Hendricks. One of them is he's got a two-part reprint of the 1944 article with the soldier who had got the whipping. There's also a two-part account uh, from someone who witnessed John Hendricks' death. And there's a 2006 article by D. Ray Smith himself. Also, we'll have a video of Harry S. Truman announcing the atomic bomb and also Wikipedia's page on Oak Ridge.
0: Very good. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a great story about something I'd never heard of before. And just that this is one of the reasons I love doing this podcast with you. I learn something new all the time. I was just going to mention the James Mahaffey book has come up several times in, in the, the episodes we've done so far. It sounds like a great resource. Uh, so I, I think I'm going to try to make sure I get a copy of that and the, this story of John Hendricks. And I recommend listeners do, too.
1: Yeah, Mahaffey is a great writer, and it's amazing how he he explains scientific concepts clearly and gives a history of nuclear accidents and makes it darkly funny at the same time. (laughs) And because, like I said at the top, because people haven't heard of John Hendricks, not as many people will think to click on this episode. So I would especially appreciate recommendations of this episode to other people as a way of helping them learn about this fun story, too.
0: Oh, yeah, please do so. And if you do, uh, when you do go buy these books, if you click on the links in our show notes or if you go to mysteriousworldstore.com, clicking the links to that helps support the show and helps uh, continue Jimmy Aikens' Mysterious World and and everything we do at SQPN. Let's move to our uh, mysterious feedback. We have uh, feedback on the Skinwalker Ranch episode, another one of those stories I'd never heard before uh, that I just was fascinated by. I think a lot of listeners were, too. So our first comment comes from Macrina on YouTube, which says, I'm so glad you did this episode. I've always wanted to know more about Skinwalker Ranch, and I had no idea it had such a variety of phenomena. Great episode. P.S. Deseret is pronounced with the hard T at the end. Deseret. I grew up in Salt Lake City, and that's the only way I've ever heard it pronounced, including from people on the news and city officials who would mention the paper. Yeah, and I thank you for that. I figured it was
1: pronounced Deseret, but the linguist in me was fighting the fact that it could also be pronounced Desiree. And I was 90 percent sure it was Deseret, but I hedged my bets. So thank you for the update.
0: (laughs) Yeah, when I went to school in uh, uh, in western Pennsylvania, eastern Ohio, the area, uh, there's a lot of places that have French names that are no way pronounced the same. So I I sympathize. Uh, Our next comment comes from Patrick Peters via YouTube, says, Hey, Jimmy, nice episode. If the best explanation is the parallel worlds, could you venture a guess as to why God would allow this kind of connection between worlds? Yeah, well, I don't don't know that it is parallel worlds. It may
1: have a purely natural explanation. But if it were parallel worlds, I would I would suppose for the same reason God allowed contact between the two parallel worlds here on Earth, the old world and the new world. They're both part of God's creation. And eventually Europeans discovered the Americas and they found the new world. And so God allowed contact between them. And if he did that, even here on Earth, he could do the same thing on a broader scale.
0: That's a good point. Brooke Kennel on YouTube with our next bit of feedback says, wow, I'm speechless. This is one of the best episodes yet. The blue panic orbs are especially creepy. I want to add here that is a great band name, blue panic orbs. Yes, you can have that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Brooke continues, I have no good theories about what might be going on there, but if it's killing dogs, I'm against it. Count me in with a request for an episode on cattle mutilation.
1: Yeah, well, um, we'll definitely be doing an episode in the future on cattle and other animal mutilation and regarding the killing dogs to chime in with Groucho Marx. I don't care whose idea it was or who commenced it. I'm against it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: and then charles l by email says the skinwalker ranch episode was phenomenal as a catholic who likes also likes the unexplained this podcast is just what the doctor ordered i listened to another podcast about the paranormal and it occasionally feels like it's poking fun at christians they take jibes at christians insisting it's all demons which i don't think it is keep up the phenomenal work i will definitely donate
1: Thank you so much. We appreciate your uh, generosity, Charles L. And I agree. Christians sometimes get a bad rap for leaping too quickly to the demonic explanation for things. Sometimes it is demons, but sometimes it's not. That's
0: right. Uh, And Ernie Morales from YouTube says, I'm not even halfway through this episode and it's sending chills down my spine. I am loving this. Great work, Jimmy and Dom. This convinced me to become a backer. This content is so good. Thank you so much, Ernie. Uh, as
1: as with Charles L. and with everybody, uh, we appreciate your generosity. It's what enables us to make this show and all of the other shows you hear on StarQuest.
0: And I I want to join you in thanking them. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, Jimmy, what's our mysterious headlines for this week? So a couple of things. We recently did an episode on the
1: uh, government UFO analysis project ATIP. And one of the things that has happened in the wake of that program becoming public is the Navy, and you'll remember some of the encounters, like the videos they released of the Tic Tac encounter that was off the coast of of San Diego here, they involved the Navy. And so the Navy is now drafting new guidelines on reporting UFOs to make it easier for people in the Navy to report them. Also, if aliens are coming here. You know, which is a big if, but if aliens are coming here, they may have to travel a little farther because the universe is expanding faster than we thought, and no one knows why. Mm-hmm. So it turns out it's moving. It looks like it's about 10% faster than we previously realized. And so we'll have links to both of those stories about the Navy's new UFO reporting guidelines and the faster than anticipated expansion of the universe in the show notes.
0: So uh, that's it from us. Uh, Before we finish, I would would like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Donna P., Alvin W., Diane F., Christian E., and Michael B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at Starquest. You could join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give, and we are so very grateful. Thank you so much. So what did you think of john hendrix the tennessee prophet let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the jimmy akins mysterious world facebook page and leave us some feedback and send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com or send a tweet to at mys underscore world with the hashtag of mysterious feedback jimmy what's our next episode going to be
1: about Next week is our monthly patron-selected episode, and so this month our patrons have selected the Voynich Manuscript, so we're going to be talking about the Voynich Manuscript next Friday.
0: Excellent. So, folks, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast so that you get it automatically, please do so in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on YouTube where you should hit the bell to get notifications. You can find links to all of the resources that Jimmy mentioned in the show from our discussion and links to the mysterious headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious until next time jimmy aiken thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world thank you dom and once again i'm dom bettinelli thank you for listening to jimmy aiken's mysterious world on starquest